everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hey everyone, welcome to this special episode of Motherkind because it is created in partnership with our lovely friends at Barbie. Do you remember last year when we had Dr. Michelle Borba on the show talking about this amazing new research that Barbie had done with Cardiff University about dull play and empathy? Well, that study for the first time ever through neuroimaging showed that dull play activates the part of the brain that allows children to develop empathy and social processing skills. So many of you loved that episode. I think for lots of us, it was a real aha moment that dull play, even alone, can help develop those empathy skills that we so want our children to have. And I think that was especially important and interesting given the backdrop of the pandemic and that those social interactions had been so limited Well, this episode is really the next instalment of that conversation because lots of you got in touch and asked about how to help your children play with dolls. So we have an amazing play expert on, Emma from The Playful Den. Honestly, what Emma doesn't know about play isn't worth knowing. She is incredible. So in this episode, we talk about what's really going on when children play how to use doll play to help our children develop empathy, that muscle of empathy, and how to process different social situations. I think what I really took from this episode, firstly, is that Emma is just an amazing person and that I could talk to her all day about play and I am becoming increasingly fascinated with it. And secondly, is just how amazing doll play is for helping our children understand the world around them. And my goodness, don't we need to help them do that right now? So I hope that you love the episode. It is created in partnership with Barbie. And here it is. Welcome to the podcast, Emma. Hello. Great to be here. I'm super excited about this episode because we are partnering with our lovely friends at Barbie to talk about doll play. And on the surface of it, the listeners might be thinking a whole episode on doll play, but it is fascinating what we're going to get into about empathy and social skills, because there's this new research that Barbie have just commissioned, which I talked about a bit in the intro, is just mind blowing in terms of what looks like quite a simple little thing that kids are doing, what actually is going on. So that is what we're talking about. I'm so excited But before we dive into all of that, I'd love you to share a little bit about your passion for play and how you came to be thinking and talking and sharing and educating about play as your job. Absolutely. It is so fascinating. The research is brilliant because when we look at children playing to the untrained eye, it's quite hard to see what's going on. 
And I think that's what's brilliant about this research is we've got some science to actually show us what is happening. So yeah, I can't wait to dive into that. My background and my expertise in play very much come from my research career. So I founded an agency 11 years ago and spent all of that time conducting global research for the largest brands in the world, all about Generation Alpha and Generation Z. So essentially young people and their families. So all of my time was spent meeting young people, talking to them online, studying their trends, predicting the future, all of those sorts of things. So it's like a sort of 11 years worth of studying kid culture. And you can imagine doing that. A lot of that involved looking at play, how they play, how that's changing what's going on with the inclusion of technology and kind of new things that kids are growing up with and those sorts of things. And more recently, I've really channeled that passion for play into my social media community, into my new business, because I'm really super interested in the relationship between play and mental health. I obviously have a background in children's research, but a lot of what I do now is actually getting adults to reconnect with their inner kid and to put play in their self-care toolkit, essentially. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on these days. It's so interesting. Someone asked me the other day, what do you do for fun? And I was like, big, awkward silence. And then I went, well, work? <laughs> I can see them this person. I was like, what the hell? It's so easy to forget because I guess we can get focused on our children's play, right? Because yeah. children should be playing. So what do you do for play? I do all sorts of things. I've never stopped playing. Um, it's also why I'm really passionate about play because I observed when I became a parent, I seem to have an innate ability to just sort of lightly skim over some of those sort of weeds of parenting that I think a lot of people get trapped in and pulled down to. And obviously circumstance does play a role in that. But for me, continuing to play and tap into my inner kid has always helped me out of really stressful times and always brought me back to myself. So I do all sorts of things. I do hula hooping, I do roller skating, I like hiking and bird spotting. I really enjoy writing, particularly comedic writing. That's what I did after I had my first child. That's the play, my postnatal play after child number one was comedic writing. And I would put all of my stresses and worries in that sort of new mom bubble into really sort of humorous pieces of writing. But yeah, I'm a bit of a pick and mix girl. It's sort of my philosophy of life, really. So I sort of try new things and get into new things. I'm not so focused on being an expert in anything. So yeah, I I do various things. And I also absolutely love swimming in the sea. That's my sort of big one that I do all year round. We're new friends, so I need you to help me get more play. I'm going to get you in the sea this winter. I'm going to get you cold water immersion. I don't know if we can do it. I put a toe in all summer. That's it. We'll get you in there. What have you learned from your children? You've got three children about play, particularly, I guess, around how they play and gendered play. Because I think when we talk about doll play, which is what we're doing on this episode, lots of people automatically think about that as a female thing. What have you seen from your children around their play and with doll play and gender? Yeah, I think it's a real shame that doll play is associated 
as a girl's activity. The optimist in me likes to think that we're moving away from that. And with research like this published by Barbie, we can see the benefits and those parents who, you know, are sort of raising the future, if we can say that, and want to contribute to things like improving gender equality. We're learning more that we need to look at boys more. A lot has been done with girls on empowerment and the women's movement and breaking glass ceilings. And all of these messages have been targeted at girls in particular. And we see that in the evolution of their characters, of their toys targeted at them that sort of play into this empowerment movement. We haven't seen as much shift in how boys have been targeted. And I think this research is really important because in order to move that needle on equality, we need boys to develop softer skills. We really need boys to be empathetic. And doll play is such an accessible way to do that. You can start really early on and kind of keep it going and normalize that for boys. And it's just an absolutely brilliant way for them to tap into that more sort of nurturing and social socially intelligent side as they're kind of growing up. Yeah. And I think, you know, the research that Barbie did was gender neutral. So the results didn't depend on gender. And, you know, the research showed through the first time, and I talked about this a little bit last year, but with a different angle with a child psychologist, is that we can see from neuroimaging that when children of any gender play with a doll, it activates the part of their brain that enables them to develop empathy and social processing skills, including if they're playing on their own. It's mm. kind of mind-blowing that a child can be playing with an adult on their own and yet they're developing empathy and social processing skills, which are vital for when you're with others. But I would say they're not on their own. They're with their imagination, which we can't see. It's invisible to us. Like I was saying, we can't see what's going on there. But when they're playing independently with these dolls, there is a, um, let's just say, a blank space that has to be filled in there because you pick the doll up and you're kind of using it and maybe you're dressing it and maybe you're kind of moving it around with your hands. But where the real depth is happening is in the imagination, in the mind, through the storytelling. So in order to get the enjoyment out of it and to really play with them to their full potential, you have to add the characters, you have to add the narrative. And what children fill in those blank spaces with is often, yes, lots of fantasy, lots of kind of really wild, crazy stuff. But a lot of it is really grounded in their own experiences, what they are going through at the moment, maybe what they're excited about, what they're worried about, and also what they think is going to happen, what they think the future is going to be like as a man, as a woman, as a parent, as a auntie, whatever it is that they're playing out, they do that with the dolls. Barbie in particular is so fantastic because although a lot of the products come with a creative spark, so the doll might have a particular style or outfit or kind of theme associated with them, they also have a lot of like a blank canvas element to them. So they're completely pliable to whatever the child's imagination wants to do with them. And that's what happens in the doll play. So I'd say, yes, they're physically on their own, but they're always with their imagination. I'm so pleased that you said that because it's just a reminder, like Jesse, who's nearly six, plays exclusively with dolls and characters. And sometimes I can catch myself thinking, 
gosh, is she kind of lonely in there? Like, because she'll do it on her own. And you've just totally reframed that for me, that she is with this incredible imagination that I can't see. But as we know from this neuroimaging, is shaping her brain towards empathy and social skills. And that's kind of just such a massive reframe for me. So thank you. Good. And what's so, I think, special about dolls versus plushes or animals or other things is they are obviously human. So they have faces, they have eyes, they have human accessories and things that we see from the real world. So what tends to happen if that's the creative spark, you know, the creative spark is people, is real people, humans. The stories that spill out of that tend to be stories relating to social interactions and real life. So I think that in particular is really special about doll play. I've really noticed that as well when you said that they will play out and kind of process stuff going on in their life. Because since going back to school last week, all of Jessie's doll play has been the, the dolls are starting school and the dolls have got a new teacher. And, and I guess what's happening there is that she's using her play to process what she's experiencing. That's it. And this is so smart of Jessie and so good for her because if she wasn't doing that, imagine how much that would bottle up. My daughter, Indy, before she started school, we must have played schools probably for a year straight like a really long time and like way beyond after she'd started school as well because you know these events that happen in their lives are so huge you know these kids they really are very little and this is a massive thing that happens to them so of course it's going to come out through their play because they don't have the ability to say to their friend, do you want to just go and get a coffee and, you know, we'll catch up over that. Like that's not children's world. Their communication, their whole everything is their play. So that's where all of that processing spills out. So it's important for parents as well to also understand if they see things in the doll play that maybe they think, oh, I'm a bit worried about that. So for example, during COVID, lots of children in play were putting masks on dolls and, you know, sanitizing dolls hands and things like that. That's not necessarily something to be worried about. Actually, you should be really pleased that the child is working through that in their play, because the more they do that, the more that they're going to make sense of it. That's what's happening. They're making sense of what they see and sort of observe around them. You mentioned then that you were kind of helping Indy prepare for school by directing that play a little bit. Like, is that what you were doing? You're saying, should we play schools? How do parents do that? So say like, live thing Jesse now in year one is kind of struggling a little bit with friendships could I get some of those dolls and say let's play playgrounds and could I kind of help her role play out what happens when someone doesn't want to play with you or what happens when you're left on your own on the bench which happened the other day and I nearly cried she goes mommy I just sat on the bench on my own or playground because no one would play with me so can we kind of use doll play to help them process that as opposed to I guess which I do at the moment which is like let's talk about it but that's the way that I process things, right? Probably not the way that she does. 100%. And she's probably not perhaps 
sophisticated enough in her language yet to have that kind of conversation, but she will be an expert in playing that with you. And she would actually like to play that out. And there would be certainly a therapeutic element in doing that. I think the key for parents is, yeah, absolutely join in and hundred percent use doll play to work through these scenarios, but do it in a way that is still child led. The kid's going to (laughs) know if you say, right, come over here and play. Oh, look, I've got a bench here and there's a child sitting here. Now she's sitting on her own. What do you think's wrong with her? They're going to know. So you need to kind of make it part of their story. Perhaps, you know, you start to interact with the characters that she's made up and maybe you see a doll you know, over there in the toy box that's not being used. And you can bring that into the story in a very organic way by saying, oh, look over here. Who's that? What's her name? She's not playing. Do you think she's all right? Like, how do you think she's feeling? And you never know what she might say. She might say, oh, yeah, actually, she quite likes playing on her own or no, she's not sure how to join in. You don't know what's going to tumble out in play. It might not be what you expect. Often we make these assumptions and we jump to the kind of worst conclusions, but there might be other things going on there that actually you can step in and help them with that perhaps you hadn't thought of. How else have you used doll play with your three? Have they all kind of played the same way with dolls or have you seen differences? We've always had dolls around. My daughter has sort of sustained her play with them, the older that she's got. Personally, now she's eight. So she is, you know, she's getting busier. You know, the timetable starts to get more full, even if you try and prevent it from doing that. And I always return to dolls when I feel like I haven't really caught up with her properly for a while. And I'll say, you know, should we play with the Barbie wardrobe? And we act out a similar thing, actually. It's quite a comfort thing as well, I think. It's a game that we play where I'm a shop owner, an LA shop owner, I would point out. And the women visit the shop and the women have sort of like confidence issues. And we sort of talk through them as me, the shop owner and personal stylist and the customers come in and then we kind of change their outfits. But it's very much all about the sort of shift in in mood and energy of the customer that comes to the Cali closet. (laughs) That's amazing. Did she come up with that construct? It was a bit of a mix. Yeah. So she wanted me to act out as the personal stylist. And then I kind of named the store and then through the questions that I would ask her character, that's always how you can insert things into the play that have a bit, perhaps more of a purpose objective from your point of view, just use the characters, use the role play to ask as a projective, essentially it's a projective exercise. You're projecting your questions through the characters. So yeah, I would do that through the way that I talk to her doll. Do you know something that you said? I don't even know if you'll be aware what a big insight it is, what it is for me, is that you said, when we haven't caught up for a while, I'll ask her if she wants to play. Because I think when I feel like, oh, I haven't caught up with the girls, what I'll sometimes do is be like, okay, so we need to do a big thing or I need to sit down and talk. Because I'm a talker, a communicator. So I'm like, we need to talk. But that was just incredible that you said that. Like, you just connect through the play. Yeah, because that is how they connect. That's about getting onto their level. And often kids 
when they're asking us, will you play with me? Will you play with me? What they're actually saying is I want to tell you something or I want to check in with you, but they don't obviously have that language or they're not at that point yet in their development to actually say that of you. It always comes out as, will you play with me? And I think that's where that real tension can come in, isn't it? Because, you know, we're busy, lives full on and it's, how long would you kind of do something like that? And do you set a time boundary? So, okay, we're going to play with the Barbies. We're going to do the shop game, but mummy's got 20 minutes or is it just open-ended? Yeah, I think it's very context depending. When they were younger, I would probably have to do that more because there's a lot more jobs, isn't there, with younger children? But I think what's great about when they move on to the Barbie dolls. So often kids in doll play will start off with baby dolls and then they'll move into the fashion dolls, which is what Barbie dolls are. And this often coincides with the point in their social development where their relationships are getting a lot more complex. So maybe they've started at a formal learning setting. Maybe their sibling relationships are changing. But there's just a lot more sophistication happening in their social relationships. So that's why it's so great if they are used to playing independently and they enjoy playing with dolls and they can do this with the Barbie dolls is that they have these really deep processing experiences, these kind of moments where they tap into empathy, both for themselves and for others. So they can kind of do that a bit more on their own. I think when they're like really, really little, they obviously require a lot more of you. And I would set more of a time boundary there to sort of quote unquote, train them to play independently, as well as making sure they've got a bit of my time as well. I think you said that really important word, empathy and social processing. And there's so much that I want to unpack around those subjects with you, particularly, you know, because we've just had the pandemic. What have you seen? What are you hearing from parents about their concerns about, you know, what essentially was kind of 18 months lost, I guess, of that normal socialization development and how play is intersected with that? We heard when we were doing research during the early stages of the pandemic and the first lockdown that there had been quite a big surge in doll play particularly and also children returning to play patterns that they had grown out of. This kind of what I called positive regression I think this is because at times when we're anxious, at times when we're unsure, we have fear and children have those feelings as much as we do. And they'll be picking those up from people around them, news everywhere. We like to return to things that are comfortable to us. We like to go to places where we can process and it sort of feels like everything's going to be okay. Sure, lots of people went back and binged things like Friends and, you know, those kind of shows that have relationships that feel very kind of like light and that work through their problems. And it's all sorted by the end of the episode. It's that kind of thing that we saw in the lockdown, children going back to some of those comfort blankets through play patterns. And dolls were really important because, of course, children couldn't interact with other children. 
And in the absence of that, it's kind of the next best thing. It really is because you've got the characters, you've got your imagination, you know, especially if you've got a parent or you've got a sibling or you've got someone even on FaceTime, you know, you're working through those stories that involve social interaction. So that played a really, really important role, particularly during lockdown. I would also just say coming out of that and now we are able to socialize a bit more as we reconnect, as kids get back together and start to get those social skills back, it still has a really important role to play here in connecting children through those stories, through processing those things that will still be on their minds. Um, it's just such a such a really great way to play through those things. I honestly can't speak highly enough of doll play. Like I think it is so good because it is just role play. And the results don't surprise me personally through my background that we see this science to prove the empathy because doll play is role play. And when we role play, essentially, we try on other identities. We try on other ways of looking at the world. And that's how you learn how to be empathetic. I love that. You have such a beautiful way of putting things. Thank we you. try on other ways of looking at the world. Yes. God, imagine, imagine what could be different if we could all develop that empathy more in the world. How important is empathy, do you think, for future generations and what our world needs you know in some ways we're living in probably the most divided world we ever have it's absolutely critical if I was in charge of the curriculum I'd have it up there as a number one skill set if we were going (laughs) to want our kids to excel at anything it would be things like empathy and creativity that I would put to the top of the pile. We are increasingly, as everyone knows, being pushed into very polarized ways of interacting with one another through various reasons, which range from algorithms to politics to all sorts of things. And this is really bad for the evolution of humanity. It's really bad and it's really bad for creativity and it's stifling to progression. So empathy and creativity, just a personal point of view from me, I see sitting really closely together when you can look from other points of view, when you can understand other people's lives, other people's perspectives, it boosts your creativity, i.e. you're able to come up with better, more dynamic ideas because your inputs and your ways of thinking are open. Um, So those two things sit quite closely for me. I think something that I learned when I was talking about this last time with Dr. Michelle, child psychologist, is she said that empathy is something we have to teach. It isn't one of those things that naturally develops children do. We have to teach it, which kind of blew my mind a little bit. And I'm wondering how you've taught and are teaching your three empathy and what you would say to other parents who I imagine everyone's just nodding furiously that empathy is the key to unlocking this better place for us all to exist in how do we do it yeah I think that it's a really good question and I would imagine hearing that information empathy has to be taught it's not just built into us is quite intimidating for parents and you just think how on earth do I do this and when we hear the word teaching I have to teach my child this in our head or certainly in my head I see like 
right, come and sit down the kitchen table and I've got a book here and, and I need to teach you about this. And right. And that's empathy. Off you go. And I think that's obviously not how it needs to be done or we want it to be done. It's all about, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint and play is just your shortcut to doing it. And actually you don't actually have to do much. If you make space in the child's life for them to play, for them to engage, particularly in role play, this is going to help their empathy. And as a parent, you can simply start to narrate that. So if they I don't know if we're suddenly they're playing with their dolls and all of these dolls are working in a, let's just say a, a vet. They're all vets and they're all in an animal store and they're all looking after the animals. You know, when you've got a moment or when you come in and you say, oh, show me what you've done. Talk me through your story. You can just say like really simple things like, God, it's amazing how you were able to step into the mind of a vet. Like that must have been really interesting to talk to the other dolls, the other characters in your story as a vet. So just those little moments where you're almost like pointing it out to them. That's really important about the learning. And then of course, it's talking about feelings and how other people felt. And that's to your example of feeling isolated in the playground. If you're able to get that into a play scenario, the questions that you want to be asking there is, how does this person feel? Like what's going on with them because that is of course acting out the empathetic mindset because to answer that question they're gonna have to naturally try and step into the shoes of that person so play really is the absolute best place to do that teaching for young children for sure yeah and I love that idea of just underscoring what you're seeing yeah. It's easy, right? You know, I'm thinking about Jessie and her little doll play and she does that. Like she becomes these characters and one of them's ill and she takes care of it. So it's just really helpful that I could see that and just be like, wow, that yeah. was amazing how that person took care of that person. Yes. How do we bring diversity and different viewpoints and different kind of political points into play? Because Barbie, you've done this amazing ad called A Doll Can Change the World. And I would encourage everyone, I'll put a link to it in the show notes to have a look at it. It's amazing, isn't it? It really brought up a lot of emotion in me, you know, in terms of what is needed to help the next generations and, you know, I think our generation too, just extend more of that understanding and compassion. But what age would you start talking about race, diversity, political views, religious views? You know, Jesse asked me the other day, you know, why are we different to, you know, because our some of our family are Jewish and why is that different to Christian? And I'm like, wow, this is, you know, <laughs> could I use play to start modeling some of that? Yeah, totally. Again, personal opinion, nothing is too early from my point of view. Obviously you have to find age appropriate ways to talk about different themes and different subjects. But race is something that children can start learning about right from when they're babies and having play stimulus around through books, through dolls that just immediately starts to send a message to them that, you know, we welcome 
people into this home that look differently to us and have different backgrounds and different stories to us. So your choice of dolls and your choice of materials that you have in the house, it is really important that they are diverse, as diverse as possible. Um, Obviously, you know, race is one thing that we've talked about, but also thinking about being neurodiverse, thinking about disability, thinking about same-sex parents. I think the media is getting better at helping us to find these things that we can bring into our children's worlds. But that is really, really brilliant if you're able to bring those resources into the home. And then as we talked about through the role playing, it's encouraging that imaginative play in your children. The more stories they act out, the more they sort of really are encouraged to use their imagination. So as parents, how do we do that? Well, we praise them for it. We show them that we value their imagination as much, if not more, they're learning cursive (laughs) or those sorts of things. Then the more they're going to start to look through the eyes of different characters and people. And that's the sort of really sort of foundational piece of being able to embrace differences. How do we model empathy in the home? How do you do that? I would say conversation at the right moments about how you've identified how other people feel. I think children do understand emotions and I think it doesn't always have to be oh, I need to explain this like really sad thing that's happening in this part of the world because otherwise they're just going to be really spoiled. I think sometimes we get caught up in this kind of narrative around privilege and spoiling them and we mistake it for almost like making the children feel guilty for how they're living their life. And we don't want to do that. We just want to make them aware that people have different lifestyles and that we might be in a position to help other people along our way. So I think it's just constantly pointing out and not shying away from, you know, if you walk past homeless people and things like that through your behaviors and how you respond to different people, they are seeing that. Ultimately, we are our biggest influence to our children. This is both terrifying and an opportunity, but we are their blueprint for how you be essentially. So really, if you want your children to be compassionate and kind and really sort of show empathy, the best way to do that is to do it yourself and they will see it. And you might not get an instant tangible outcome. Like I just did that thing and they haven't noticed and they haven't done it themselves, but they're sponges. It's going in. It might not come out until they're in their 20s or when they become a parent, but it is going in. So really sort of look at your own behaviors and how you interact with, you know, your community and other people and things that are going on in the news and those sorts of things. You know, I talk about this all the time, the kind of short-term parenting, the stuff that works in the short term, but actually has long-term yes. impact. Yes. The stuff that you're talking about is like, yeah, it's kind of invisible, isn't it? Like making this time for play, like underscoring what you're seeing with the doll play. And yeah, imagine that. Like when our kids become parents, like suddenly as grandparents, we might witness the blossoming of, you know, some of these seeds that we've sown. That feels kind of really exciting to me, actually. (laughs) Is there anything else that's come up that we haven't talked about that you wanted to share about doll play and empathy and this study from Barbie that we haven't touched on already? I think it's just to reiterate that we're sort of touching upon themes here 
around understanding other people, around diversity. And I think it's just to reiterate that when I say play is the best place to teach these things, to explore these things, another thing to understand is that play is a safe space for children. And within that space of play, they must be allowed to get things wrong. And when we're acting out some of those scenarios, maybe we're acting out a bunch of kids with the Barbie dolls and one of them is being bullied. If they don't necessarily within the story make the right decision that you consider right within the story, you must allow them to play that out. You must allow the scenario to run through. What we don't really want to be doing is we don't want to take this amazing research and this science and kind of dive into their play and use it as this kind of parent-led thing that strips that safety out of their space, if that makes sense. We must allow them to protect this little bubble where they're allowed to make mistakes because that's what they're doing in there. They're trying things out, you know, within their stories. So, you know, if we want to explore race, if we want to explore equality, if we want to explore bullying and those things that are going to come up, we must make sure that we go in there, not with the intention of having the perfect lesson, (laughs) but of we're entering into their space. It's their safe space. So we want to allow scenarios to play out and not kind of freak out too much if they don't have the perfect role play solution to some of these scenarios. Yeah, this isn't another thing that we have to win at or a box to tick, is it? As you say, this is a kind of privilege in a way to be invited into our child's world of play. Exactly. And how they act out within the imagination doesn't always mean that's how they're going to do it in real life either. It's the role play. They're trying out different scenarios, different ways of being. So I think it's just important to remember that. Yeah. Thank you for underscoring that. And as you know, I ask the same question at the end of every episode, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would it be and why? Going on this theme of empathy, I would love to give parents a kid's eye view of the world. You know, as much as we're talking about bringing out this empathy in children, as a parent, again, one of the best ways you can teach that, but also one that's so useful for you as a parent is to have empathy for your child and to try and look at life with these kid goggles on because it's really quite interesting for a start off. Secondly, it just helps you to not always kind of like jump towards doing, you know, what's perceived to be the right thing or the best thing, but to just allow the child this safe space to grow and to expand. And yeah, try and just see the world through their eyes. So that's what I'd love to give to parents, some kid goggles that they can have a a kid's eye view on the world. That'd be amazing, wouldn't it? I suspect if I spent a day looking through the eyes of my two girls, my empathy for them And their experiences would just go through the roof. I suspect I would parent very differently, actually. I think it's true. I think our expectations of kids, what they should do, what they're meant to do, I think have gone absolutely bonkers (laughs) over the last sort of five to 10 years. I think it's quite staggering what we expect of our children and also our aspirations for them as well. So I think just having, yeah, that kid's eye view, just coming back to their level, seeing how some of these things are so huge to them. My Indy, she's eight, she's been at the same school for quite a number of years now. And she just said to me last night, do you think it's normal to feel overwhelmed in the first week of 
going back to school? I was like, yeah, of course. Like you can forget, even if they've done things, you know, for a really long time, everything's a really, a really big deal for them, particularly um, change, even if they are kind of enjoying it and embracing it. So yeah, I think just looking through their eyes is really, really important. And let them play to figure it all out. Absolutely. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I've loved chatting. A pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Zoe. So thank you again to Barbie for sponsoring this episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists and we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just £25 currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care. I'll see you next time.